listening to a person giving the sermon, I'm imagining that the message they give is them sharing with me what they know and practice, that they speak with authority is something that I trust. I'd like to flag up that as I compose, pray, and do my very best to discern what God wants you to hear, I very often fall short of the ideal or ideals that I share with you. My preparation often, if not always, feels like my very own personal Bible study. If nothing else, it gives me goals to aim for, and I pray that it does the same for you. In this series, we've looked at the many ways we can actively get involved with greener, more responsible ways of living. I want to dig into the attitude required for this and and examine just how serious we are about Jesus. Since we may well have a strong desire to be the person God wants us to be, what may follow is a desire to treasure and maintain his gift of creation. As looked at earlier, we can fashion an outlook that somehow releases us from responsibility or leave it to the next generation, which will happen anyway. But if we are the role model or example setter, then we actually own that responsibility, whether we want it or not. We are empowered as God's people. In Isaiah 45, the end of 23 and 24, it says that to me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall take an oath. He shall say, surely in the Lord, I have righteousness and strength. Every knee shall bow. Whether by choice or otherwise, we'll bow for sure. Now to a Christian, that isn't a problem. My God is supreme without any worthy contender. And personally, I don't want to bow to anyone or anything less. In God's eyes, who are you? Oh no, wrong way. Oh well, all a bit dark, aren't they? In God's eyes, who are you? You are God's very own son or daughter a child of the king. You are Christian, called by God's own name. You are a saint, set apart by God unto himself. You were a citizen of God's kingdom of heaven and a visitor on planet Earth. You are God's ambassador to present his terms of peace to planet Earth. And in John 1.12, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In 2 Timothy 1.7, For God gave us the spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And in Romans 12.2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and perfect and acceptable. And in 2 Corinthians 2.14, do not be, sorry, but thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads 
the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. In God's eyes, we are his righteous children with power, love and self-control, with discernment of his will, who spread the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. It's worth repeating. We can spread the fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus everywhere. In other words, when we share Jesus, we're sharing something that smells good. That in itself reflects that the news of Jesus is indeed good. As the role model or example setter, if what we share is good, then what we do is good or should be. If our actions stem from love and power and self-control rooted in our awe of Jesus, it will be seen or perceived by others as good, worth emulating even. Fragrance is reliant on our sense of smell. It's the best memory keeper, so much so they're a test based on the inability to identify specific smells that would indicate early onset of Alzheimer's disease. We've all experienced that incidence of smelling something and being instantly reminded of sometimes a long past event or person. After my dad died, I used to go to his much frequented shed. Shed? <laughs> and I'd stand there, eyes closed, and breathe in the smell of oil, wooden tools, and sawdust, and would be able to see my dad so clearly in my mind. We should desire to evoke a, a feeling of something memorably good with people experiencing Jesus' goodness via our words and deeds. Where are we in the creation plan? Well, Adam and Eve were made on the sixth day, or if you prefer, last on the agenda. Genesis says we were made in his image. It's a lovely thought, isn't it? That each human face reflects God's image as though the billions of faces that have been, are, or will be, represents the multifaceted God and Father. It's also quite daunting to imagine or embark on building a personal relationship with the author of everything. His plan is for us to have this personal relationship. Today's scripture makes it entirely clear there's no excuse for not acknowledging who and what God is. In addition to that is the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Isaiah 11:2, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. When we receive the Holy Spirit, the sevenfold spirits of God fill us to overflowing. 
On receiving this gift, we have direct access to God, to the Lord's wisdom. Obviously, we'll never be able to comprehend the full extent of that wisdom, but we will be given enough to overflowing even to be effective ambassadors. Let's reach out and pray for that. For surely with these gifts, we can't possibly be blind to our responsibility of, to, to God's gift of creation. Let's not fool ourselves into thinking that being on good terms with God releases us from being concerned about the future of the planet. It stinks a little bit of I'm all right, Jack. You may well have a flourishing relationship with God. And at the very heart of that is the joy of worship and adoring him. And there's many facets of approach that we can discover. For instance, it can be quite an undertaking to, to love your neighbor, but it can be also even harder to love yourself. Not in a selfish or self-absorbed way, but in a self-respectful way. We owe it to ourselves to have a healthy regard, a healthy self-regard. And if we love God and all that he is, then we should acknowledge that all he is ranges from the smallest quark to the greatest quasar and everything in between, everything, because he made it all. To separate or compartmentalize our relationship with God and our relationship with the planet feels disloyal to him the more you think about it. Is it because we confine following Jesus to our spiritual life rather than our physical life? When really, the two are interwoven. I, I realize that being greener feels like more of a globally political issue. <clears throat> to me, as a problem, as an individual, the problem just feels so vast, huge enough to feel that any attempt I make to be planet friendly would just be swamped by the sheer scale of unfriendly practices. The parallel I'm trying to make is that if our faith drives us in, to get into a personal relationship with an unfathomably huge God through Jesus, then we should be able to muster some modicum of optimism by taking seriously our own responsibility to live greener lives in harmony with the planet. Just as we study the Bible to, to learn more about God, we could study how what we consume or use impacts the wider environment. And if possible, make changes, however small, to live more sympathetically on this earth. We do all know this though, don't we? For since the creation of the, of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, been understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Even though today's scripture 
says how obvious God's invisible qualities of eternal power and divine nature are through what he's made, are we really grasping the full extent of these qualities? Did I appreciate my sense of smell when being reminded of my departed dad? No, I appreciated the smell. Do I appreciate my sense of taste, sight, hearing or touch? I'm not sure. I like how things taste or what mountains and verdant meadows look like or enjoy the sound of a giggling infant or the texture of a small pebble in my hand. I can marvel at those things and attribute it all to God's design, but I, we, would do well to go deeper. Of course, the marvel of our senses doesn't even scratch the surface of the author of his of the surface of his authorship, because it goes on and on and on and on. Using and appreciate our senses might just help you to refresh or enhance how you pray and further your relationship with him. To be an effective and sympathetic visitor on earth, we first need to be an authentic child of God. God, our Father, is in everything, and for that, he's worthy of our constant praise. It's a lifelong task to engage with our maker, just as it could be a lifelong task to engage healthily with ourselves and the planet. We believe that his plan for each of us is perfect, the best plan ever. Let's strive to fully appreciate that perfect plan and respond wholeheartedly and it's never too late to start. Our relationship with the living Lord Jesus is the single most important relationship we'll ever have. Studying his life and works, words while he walked this earth reveal his nature. As we mature in our faith, more and more of him is revealed to us. With that comes a self-awareness of, on the one hand, how sinful we are, to, on the other hand, how blessed we are to know and receive his merciful forgiveness. Even though our relationship is, with Jesus is unique and personal to each of us, it's good to appreciate and acknowledge others walk with him wherever they are on their journey. Our destination is the kingdom of heaven and security in our relationship with Jesus is living and growing as we travel with him. So improve your relationship with God, improve your relationship with the planet. Meditation and praying to our Lord is the most widely accepted way of maintaining and improving our relationship with him. In this time with him, it gives space for God to reveal more of himself to us. For me, once I realized 
and believe that Jesus did in fact walk this earth, the same earth I now walk on, my belief became part of my spiritual nature. My intellectual nature is employed to study the Bible and to listen to sermons, etc. It's occurred to me that my physical nature takes a somewhat back seat when it comes to my faith and my prayers. Serving Jesus with my deeds is part of my life. We're all encouraged to go about our daily lives in constant service to him. And that is indeed a lifelong aim that in reality we're never likely to attain. These physical acts are the nearest I get to translating my, my intellectual and spiritual love for him into a physical connection with him. It, it's good to find new ways to worship him. So, so let's just take a look at when Jesus walked this earth and engaged physically with the people he met. In John 7, 30, sorry, Luke 7, 38, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. I don't doubt that any time after that, when the woman smelt the perfume, she would be instantly taken back to the day she kissed Jesus' feet. And in Luke 4:39, he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Do, do you imagine any time after that, when the fishermen were in a storm on the sea, they didn't remember the voice of Jesus? Matthew 27:45, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. This occurred just before Jesus died. I feel that after that day, whenever there were storm clouds building, reducing the light and therefore their vision, they would remember seeing Jesus on the cross. And in Mark 6:41 and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up into heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. I bet they'd never taste bread and fish like that ever again. And with each subsequent bread and fish meal, they'd remember the miraculous, miraculous picnic with Jesus. And in John 9, 6, when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. When the man washed the clay off as instructed, he could see I wonder how many things he saw for the first time and didn't recall the miraculous day Jesus touched him. Jesus was exquisitely enigmatic. 
so it may seem unnecessary for the folk who encountered him on earth to rely on their memory through their senses. But this is the very idea I want to tap into in order to make meaningful connections to our Lord and his creation, that it might refresh and heighten our appreciation of our senses that are a requisite component to treasuring this world in all its fullness. Lots of us find praise music helpful during our prayer times. So I wonder if when we next take private prayer time with Jesus, we might not use only words, but sights and taste, objects and maybe a fragrance of some kind to help us focus on how fearfully and wonderfully made we are. Jesus came to earth in human form and was exposed to the delights and trials of life to the full. While we don't have memories of meeting Jesus in the flesh, we do have the same senses that he had or has. You've heard it said, sing it for Jesus. Why not see it, taste it, smell it, feel it, hear it for Jesus? Let's reimagine our engagement with God to take us to another level of awe and wonder. Bow down in obedience and humility as his children on his beautiful earth, giving thanks to be reminded that we were created to enjoy and experience God's eternal power and divine nature we weren't created to destroy what he made. We were created to enjoy what he made. Amen.